Let's bow in prayer together. Father, I just ask you this morning that you would use your word and this message for your glory. And I ask you to use me as your servant today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking today about obstacles to God's work. And I have a sense today that God really wants to use this message in our lives, that it's a needed message, a relevant message, and a special word for us today. Um, it's weird if you have been a person that preaches, you know what I'm about to say and how true it is. Sometimes when you feel just great about your message, it didn't come off as well as you thought it would. And other times when you feel maybe a little bit uneasy about it, uh, that seems to be the time when God uses it. And maybe that's because the preacher is trusting God more. I'm not going to tell you which of the two I have today because that would just make me more concerned, and I just told you. But I do believe God's going to use this message today. I'm going to just give you a summary of it up front. And uh, please don't stop listening at this point just because I've already given it away. But the summary is simply this, that familiarity and a lack of faith are obstacles that restrict the movement and work of God like nothing else. Familiarity and a lack of faith are obstacles that restrict the movement of God and the work of God like nothing else. God wants to do something fresh and new in your life and in the life of our church. I believe that. But familiarity and a lack of faith are two obstacles that can block that and can keep that from happening in our life. And as we talk about these two obstacles today, both of them are sin in the life of the Christian. So, we'll jump right in. Familiarity is the dreaded enemy of the fulfillment of God's awesome vision for our situation. And I want to read our passage now. You'll see it on the screen behind you. It's Mark 6, 1 through 6. A passage that probably many of you, if you've been in church for years, are very familiar with. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that he has been given, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. Familiarity is the dreaded enemy of the fulfillment of God's awesome vision in our situation. It's interesting that this passage says that Jesus, that they scoffed at Jesus. 
And I'm reading one of these verses again. This is out of the New Living. I love the way it puts it. It says, and they scoffed, he's just a carpenter. What was happening that day? Well, we have something here that's been called the Nazareth principle. And that is that <clears throat> when Jesus said, only in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. The Nazareth principle is this, that sometimes when there's such familiarity with the person, with the speaker, in this case, with God incarnate, Jesus Christ, people are refusing to really recognize and listen and hear. You see, what the Bible's telling us here is Jesus was talking in his own backyard. He was talking in his own part of the country, and people were offended by it, and they didn't listen. So three things we're going to say today about familiarity, and the first one is familiarity is doing what we've always done. Doing what we've always done. You see, those in the town of Nazareth that day weren't used to hearing Jesus as a spiritual teacher. And they were not about to start that day. They saw Jesus in the same familiar way that they had always known him. The problem was they didn't really know who he was. And they even took offense at what he was saying. Unless we change... What we've been doing, we'll continue doing what we've always done. And that may say and sound like just a hubbub of words, but it's so true. Unless we change what we've been doing, we'll continue doing what we've always done. Someone years ago defined insanity is doing what you've always done, but expecting different results. And I want to lovingly say to you today, as someone who loves God's church, that the church of Jesus Christ has perfected that. Come on. Lyle Schaller, a great Christian leader of many years back, I'm sure he's with the Lord now. When I last heard him, it was long ago, and he was in his 80s then. Lyle Schallander said that many Christians live and act every Sunday and during the week like they're going to wake up and it's 1954 again. And that just never happens. It never, ever happens. I want to tell you about a friend of mine. Uh, yesterday we had Go Vets, and I was talking with Nathan, my good friend, Nathan Rommel, a Navy commander, and I said, I'm going to talk today about uh, another friend of mine who's a Navy commander. And J.K. Minton uh, had been the executive officer on a submarine in his career with the Navy. And he was in ministry later in his life and was the director of missions of Interstate Association, the churches in our denomination in the Portland-Vancouver area all the way out to the coast and all the way out to Goldendale. J.K. was a great leader. I loved that guy. Good friend. He went back to Texas because that's where the grandkids were. They're a huge draw. <laughs> I know that personally. But... I was talking with J.K. one day. I hadn't seen him in a while, and I said, J.K., what's been happening? And he said, oh, just visiting pastors, talking with them. 
And I said, well, what do you talk with them about? He said, I always ask them the same question. Well, he had piqued my interest at that point. And I said, well, what do you ask them? He said, I ask them what they're doing different. And I said, J.K., why do you ask them that? This is what he told me. He said, I ask them what they're doing different because if they're not doing something different in their life and in their church, God's probably not doing much there. I think that's profound, and I think it's very, very true. If God is asking you today to be different than you've been, are you willing to listen to him and to allow him to change you? Familiarity is doing what we've always done. Familiarity is also doing only what we've personally experienced and are comfortable with. Personal experience and comfort are terrible guidelines upon which to base your life. But yet we all do that. I'm talking to myself here today. We all do it. And it's very bad way to gauge what you do. Personal experience and comfort. Our personal experiences impact us. And our comfort level impacts us. But if we let that be what determines how we follow the Lord, we're in deep, deep trouble. Maybe today you're sitting here, uh, and already I'm sensing that you're, you're thinking, boy, this sermon is sort of right, right in my face here. And yeah, it is. It's in mine too. But you may be here today, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. You may be pretty satisfied with your life, but God says that you're an unrepentant sinner and that you're not yet willing to stop trusting yourself and get out of your comfort zone to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Many of us would quickly say, it's really not a hard thing to become a Christ follower, but it is very, very difficult. Because it involves us being willing to saying, I won't trust my experience or what I'm comfortable with. I'll put all my trust in Jesus. Most here today have made that decision. Maybe you made it a long time ago, but it's still difficult and hard. Because it goes against our nature to trust ourselves, to trust our own experience, and to trust that which we're comfortable with. If you've not yet become a cross follower, I encourage you to trust him today. To put your trust in him, you'll never, ever regret it. As a church, it's easy for us to fall into the familiarity trap. And, and as a five-plus-year-old church, we started doing things in new ways and innovative ways or contemporary ways. And we, we went forward with that. But guess what happens to new churches? The innovative and the contemporary becomes the new tradition. And that can be very dangerous. I was in a Christian conference meeting some years back, and I heard a man named Steve Chalk 
and he was leading a group of uh, Baptist congregations that were starting churches all over the greater London area. And as I listened to him, he said something that really impacted me. He was saying that Jesus was always theologically conservative, that Jesus was always in tune with the Father's will, but that Jesus' methodology was radical. In fact, I would put it to you this way today. Those who are truly conservative in their theology will be radical in their practice, in their methodology. I know probably some of you really are trying to figure out, what am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Bible tells us. That God's Word never changes, but you see how we live it out. Our methods and our methods and, and our preferences and our norms, they have to always be changing to fit the culture that we're dealing with. Familiarity is the third thing. We've looked at two of them. Familiarity breeds indifference, and it breeds laziness. And these are deadly, deadly to God's vision and His will being fulfilled in and through us. What do we mean by indifference? I would just put it this way. It's the oh well attitude. What do I mean by laziness? It's the I don't have to do much to meet the old requirement kind of attitude. And if you are indifferent and lazy, it'll keep you from knowing God's fresh new plan for your life. It did for those in Nazareth that day. Uh, they totally missed what Jesus was trying to say to them because they were lazy and they were indifferent. I want to tell you about a church that I know of. Uh, it was started by um, an acquaintance of mine that I got to know a little bit by the name of Harold Bullock. And over a period of 30 years, Hope Church in Fort Worth, Texas, was responsible for starting 30 new congregations, I'm sorry, 100 in 30 years, they started 100 new congregations. Most of those as they sent out people that God had called into the ministry. Fort Worth, Texas is where Southwestern Seminary is located that I attended and Mark Ford attended and uh, Mike Thibodeau and many other people that have preached in this pulpit attended. And Harold Bullock had a vision for letting God use him and those in his church to change a world. And they really did a great job of that. 100 new congregations in 30 years, and they sent out hundreds of Christian ministers, many that went out and planted churches. Uh, I think I'll do something different than I plan to do because I'm thinking there are a few people here, not many, but a few that'll know these names. But Dan Morgan and Vince Encerello and another pastor up in the Yelm area that I forgot his name, they were all in that church. 
when they were going to seminary. This was the church that decided that they wouldn't just deal with the familiar, that they would be looking for God's fresh new plan to work in the world. So, familiarity is the dreaded enemy of what God wants to do in your life personally, in Go Church Richfield as a congregation. But there's a second big obstacle for God doing what he wants to do in our lives, and that is deficient faith. Deficient faith is the dreaded enemy of the fulfillment of God's awesome vision in our situation. I think one of the saddest verses in Scripture is one I'm going to read again out of this passage. Verse 5 and 6 said, He, referring to Jesus, could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. A side note here that I want to make. We know that our God is a God of power and that he is sovereign. But God, you see, is so sovereign that he can limit what he will do because of man's decisions. I don't understand that, but we see it from Genesis to Revelation. And God chose, and he did it many times in the records of the gospel and of his three years of ministry on this earth. God chose to ask people to have faith. And if they did, he went on to do great and mighty things in their lives. And if they didn't, many times he did not. So don't get hung up on this, okay? We're not saying God's not sovereign. We're not saying God's power is limited. But we're saying that our deficient faith is a dreaded enemy of God doing his work in our lives and through his church. What about deficient faith? First thing I want to say to us today is a lack of faith results in our trusting ourselves. A lack of faith results in our trusting ourselves. And when we do that, we have human efforts producing human results, and human efforts do not divine miracles produce. I want to say that again. When we trust ourselves, we have human efforts producing human results, and human efforts do not divine miracles produce. It's even worse than that. Because when we trust ourselves as Christ followers, rather than putting our full and complete trust in God, it is an affront to God's provision through the cross and the resurrection. When we trust ourselves, we're in essence saying, God, I got this. I don't need your sacrifice at Calvary, and I don't need your resurrection power to do the work you want me to do. I can handle it. I'll confess I've done that, and it's an affront to the cross and the resurrection. You see, that day in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, people kept trusting what they knew themselves 
and the results were Jesus did very little there. Oh, the times I can remember and think of when I've done that exact thing. And God wasn't able to use me. He wasn't able to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. You see, God's miracle work in human lives only happens when we place our unconditional faith in him. I'm going to say that again. God's miracle work in human lives only happens when we place our unconditional trust in him. I want to tell you about a pastor of mine. When Joyce and I lived in Atlanta, Georgia, we attended Rehoboth Baptist Church. And it was a church that was pastored for 35 years by a man that had a fifth grade education. Never graduated from high school, never went to college, did not go to seminary. And bear with me as I might get a little emotional as I tell you this story. Because Lester Bice, when he was a farmer in Tucker, Georgia, way outside the city limits of Atlanta, Atlanta later grew and took all those suburbs in. But when he was just a young farmer boy with a fifth grade education, he was asked to pastor the church he was part of. And this is what Lester Bice says he told God. He said, God, I'm not much, but I just want you to know you've got all of me. Friends and fellow church members and, and attenders, Lester Bice pastored Rehoboth Baptist Church for 35 years. Rehoboth Baptist Church a number of years while Joyce and I were there, I think about five, led the state of Georgia for Southern Baptist churches, and there are thousands of Southern Baptist churches in Georgia. Rehoboth Baptist Church led the state of Georgia in baptisms for five years. We baptized 400 people a year, Connor. We had a sports team, softball, and Lester Bice had the church get bumper stickers and encouraged us all to put them on our cars. I hate bumper stickers. But I actually had one on my car then. And it said, Rehoboth Baptist Church, world's largest sports, Christian sports team. Sounds so audacious. It probably was. I'm not talking about a league here. I mean, our church had 85 softball teams every summer and every coach was trained in evangelism and every coach was praying for those boys and girls that played on those teams the world's largest christian sports program you see lester bice put his unconditional trust in a powerful god and said if you want to use this little guy by the way he looked like a weasel he, he was small, and he had a mustache that went over his lip. And he wasn't the greatest preacher you ever heard. But he preached the gospel depending on his powerful God. And literally, over those 35 years, 
thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ. A lack of faith results in our trusting ourselves. Second, a lack of faith produces minimal results. Minimal results. What happens when we fail to exercise great faith in an all-powerful God? I want to answer that question by just sharing a few things about somebody that everybody here has heard of, everybody here knows of. Dr. Billy Graham. Billy Graham is credited with having preached the gospel to more people in live audiences than anyone else in history. He only preached in his lifetime to 215 million people. In more than 185 countries and territories, Hundreds of millions of people were reached through television, video, film, webcast, his books. In 1949, he preached his first crusade in Los Angeles. It was scheduled to last three weeks. It was extended another eight. And people came by the hundreds to give their life to Christ. But let me tell you how that began. You see, in 1918, four days before the armistice for World War II ended, Billy Graham was living on a dairy farm with his family in Charlotte, North Carolina. As a 15-year-old in 34, he attended a tent crusade led by Mordecai Ham. If memory serves me correctly, Mordecai Ham came to Christ under the ministry of Dwight L. Moody. Mordecai Ham's preaching this tent crusade, and Billy Graham, a 15-year-old, gave his life to Christ. I've read that the thing that Billy Graham was into in his late teenage years was muscle cars, big V8s. But somewhere along the way, as God called him, he decided to give an unconditional surrender of his life to Christ. And it'll take heaven for us to know how many thousands are there because of his ministry. I've debated all morning in my mind whether to bring this up or not because I don't want you to misunderstand my motives here. And it's certainly not to tell you I'm anybody special. But I want to say to you, if Bevan and Joyce McWhorter had not followed God's call to come to the Northwest 43 and a half years ago, you wouldn't be hearing this sermon today. I want to tell you, if Mark Ford hadn't left eight full-time staff members at First Baptist Longview to come to Ridgefield with no assurance of anything to start this church, we wouldn't be sitting here today. If Connor Ford hadn't responded to God's call to be the lead pastor of this church, he wouldn't be our pastor now. And if Mark Ford hadn't listened to what God was telling him when some of us here weren't sure he was really getting it right, 
he would not be starting a new church in the most unchurched, fastest-growing region of the state of Oregon right now. You may be thinking today, and I'm just being candid with you, you may be thinking, everybody you just told us about is a Christian minister. Let me tell you what would have happened if Billy Graham had not believed God and put his whole confidence and trust in him. The kingdom of God would have been robbed. And that's the same for the other people I just mentioned. But let's bring it home to most of you today. You say, I ain't no Billy Graham. Well, neither am I. You say, I'm not a pastor, and I've not been called to plant a church. I want to tell you what will happen if you refuse to put your complete trust in God Almighty. The kingdom of God will be robbed. You see, some of you here today, God's calling you to do something. It may be to be a missionary, to plant a church, to be a pastor, to be a worship leader, to work with children. It may be just to go across the street and share Jesus with somebody that lives there that you know doesn't know him. But I'm telling you that if you don't put your full, complete trust in Jesus Christ, God's kingdom will be robbed. That day in Nazareth, the problem was people didn't really recognize who Jesus was. And the kingdom of God was robbed. We, of course, have a New Testament that gives us many, mother, many other examples of how God did speak to people, and some of those put their trust in him. And amazing miracles happened. Uh, blind people got their sight and deaf people got their hearing back. People that were lame and couldn't walk got their use of their legs again. But the main thing that people got is they got the message of eternal life, that you need Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. There are two takeaways from today's message. I'm going to mention those as we begin to close today. The first takeaway is I want to ask you to recognize God's presence and desire to work in your life in a fresh new way. I don't know what God wants to do in your life, but if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I know he wants to use your life. And he can't do it without your trust. Oh, he's an all-powerful God. He can do anything he wants to. Yeah, what he wants to do is to use your life. And it takes your cooperation for that to happen. So today, recognize God's presence and desire to work in your life in a fresh new way. And then number two, act with risk-taking faith in a miracle-working God. I can tell you from personal experience, if you'll do that, God will amaze you at what he can do. If you do that, he will blow your socks off with how he uses you. And I know some of you good folks today are sitting there and going, oh, well, you're not talking about me. Yes, I am talking about you. 
I'm talking about you because you see, it's not going to be Connor Ford or Bevan McWhorter or James Heberling or Randy Adams or uh, Bill Edens that God uses to reach that person that he's calling you to reach. It's going to be you. And if you don't say, God, I'm not much, but everything I have is yours. He won't use you. Bow with me in prayer. Father, today, I just pray you would burden our hearts. It's not been my intent to make people feel uneasy today, but Lord, I know that has happened. I feel uneasy today because God so much hinges on us in our willingness to trust you. Today, I tell you anew and afresh that I trust you completely. Use me until the day I die. And Lord, I pray today that someone here that's never given you their life would realize I don't have this salvation Bevan's talked about. I don't have Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I pray even now that they would be willing to give you their heart and life. I pray today for a great number of us here that do know you, that we would this day determine we're going to serve you like never before as we yield everything we are to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.